days until pitchers and catchers have their first formal workout in Bradenton. And it's still, it's still too soon to get into a record prediction, but I'm going to give it a shot anyway today. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dayon Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Penguins that I hope you'll additionally check out. What do you got? What do you got? How do you do this? How do you do this? How do you take a team that's lost 100 games two years in a row, and it would have been three years in a row had the pandemic not shortened the 2020 season to just two months. In fact, that team might have lost like 150. And I'm only partially kidding when I say that. This one, though, what do you do? What do you do? Because where is the math aligned? Is the math aligned with the scale of improvement? Or is the math more aligned with whatever your actual general expectation is of the group that's in front of you? And I'll explain what I mean by that. If you say, well, it's really hard to have um, a 10-game or 20-game improvement in baseball, you are, of course, historically accurate. They don't happen often, but the real reason they don't happen often is most teams don't lose 100 games. It's very hard to lose 100 games. We only think that it isn't in Pittsburgh because it happens all the time. So is it easier to improve or more difficult to improve from, let's just say for the sake of conversation, 62 to 82? I'm just having fun here. Don't take me seriously. 62 to 82 or 82 to 102. Do you follow me? They're both 20-game improvements, but which one's more difficult to achieve? Well, of course it's the latter. Of course it's the latter. So I prefer the other approach, even though it's nowhere near as numerical. And that's simply to look at the roster, look at the circumstances within that roster, look at ceiling possibilities within that roster. And by that, I mean, you know, O'Neill Cruz is back for another year. But are you penciling him in for the same production as what he had in 22? No, I would certainly hope not, because that wouldn't be plausible. And by the same token, if you look at a Mitch Keller and the terrific year that he had, are you banking on another terrific year, or are you looking at the years he had before that? Has he broken through, or did he just have a little bit of an outlier? The next thing to do is to look at age, obviously, obviously. And that goes the same way in both directions. If you're younger, theoretically, you've got a chance of becoming better, a lot better chance than an older player does. In fact, the older player almost certainly will decline. So when you look at, uh, respectfully, Andrew McCutcheon, it's beautiful to have him back here, but, you know, (laughs) there's people or mostly just the casual baseball fan types in Pittsburgh who think who think he's come back and it just is going to magically play some massive role in instant contention. I mean, there's not a lot of that, but there's enough of it that it's kind of like, whoa, hey, you know? And then there's another one that hardly ever comes up with anybody, but it probably should. 
because the schedule's imbalanced enough, even with this new format, that you play a lot of games inside your division. And the caliber of the division in which you play tends to have a really outsized influence on your overall record. It just does. We've seen, for example, even in some of the Pirates' worst seasons where they would really dominate this division or that division, you'd be like, whoa, that's that's incredible. But then you look at their record inside the Central, and they got just destroyed. Why? Well, because those teams see the Pirates often enough to know how to beat somebody. And if that somebody isn't very good, and most often, if you were playing for the Pirates, you weren't, that's a that's a death knell right there. You're going to get stuck with some 300 winning percentage inside your division and nothing else that you do matters. So here, I'll take those factors and try to put them into play here. If you look at this team and its offensive capability overall, you do have upside in Cruz. You have possible upside in Rodolfo Castro. You have possible upside in Jack Sawinski. And you have definite upside, I think. If you were to bring in some of the younger guys, the prospects, like an Andy Rodriguez, and you could see the Pirates have the kind of chance that, say, the Marlins used to whenever they were just owning everybody when it came to drafting and developing. And the Marlins would be, you know, they'd have like the average age of 22 years old, and they would just start cleaning up in the NL East. And you're like, whoa, this team is for real. This is incredible. And then it just didn't feel like a surprise, you know? I could see maybe a team like the Orioles doing a little bit of that, the way they finished you know, with all the prospects. and Adley Rutschman already now, not already, but now in Baltimore. They're going to have a chance to be that team that just kind of soars all the way up, and you're not used to saying their name, so it feels really weird. But what if the Orioles were to improve by some massive number of games? Who would really be all that shocked, right? I look at the pitching and I'm encouraged. I'm borderline excited, but I'm not sold. I think that's a fair representation, certainly, of how I feel about the group. Uh, I don't look at it the way I used to and just see five level lines and know exactly what I'm going to get. Because if we're being honest with each other, if Keller does have a continuation of 2022, if Rowanzi Contreras does rise up another level, if Rich Hill is just a steadying influence slash lefty, keep everybody honest guy, that's a plus over last year. Or at least it's a neutral marking because Jose Quintana was that guy for the better part of last season, I guess. But now what if Johan Oviedo rises up? What if Luis Ortiz doesn't stay in Indianapolis all that long. I got news for you. If you've got starting pitching, that's your cheat code to get to the next level. And in that circumstance, no one is surprised. No one is surprised. It's funny how many people all these years later still look back at the 1997 team, the freak show team, as Greg Brown dubbed them. And they saw the payroll and they saw those Kevin Polkoviches and they said, well, it's just the most amazing story and this is unbelievable. And it wasn't. It wasn't. Because they had young, legit, with potential, with ceiling, starting pitching. They had a young Jason Schmidt, Esteban Loaiza, Francisco Cordova, 
John Lieber was in that group. And those guys never missed starts. It was nuts. They all made 30 plus starts, which is also, well, that was actually the freak show component. But the reason that the Pirates hung in there all year long wasn't because Polkovich once homered off Kurt Schilling, although he did. It was because they had starting pitching and it was the great evening up factor. The last thing I've got on this subject, and it might be the most important, and don't roll your eyes at this, please, because it's totally intangible, just confidence, collective confidence. And that's going to have to come, I say this all the time, from the clubhouse. It's not going to come from the owner. It's not going to come from the team president. It's not going to come from the general manager. It might not even come from Derek Shelton because they've had him doing what they want for three years. If you want fire and a competitive nature and everything else to establish around this team, that's going to have to come from within the same way it did in 2012 and 2013. And that... That right there, my friends, is such a big, big variable. When we come back, J1Q. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern. That's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of... Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. Today's J1Q comes from Bob, who says, DK, I appreciate the reference to Walter Big Train Johnson in the J1Q to end last week so much. Thank you. 137 years of the Pittsburgh Baseball Club, and we cannot ignore the accomplishments of those old-time bucks beating a worn-down great like Johnson in Game 7 of the 1925 World Series. Along those lines, it's sad that Hall of Famers like Pie Trainer and Paul Wayner are forgotten more and more as the years pass. Thanks again. No, thanks to you, Bob. That's a, that's a neat note. You weren't the only one to write about that segment, and um, I'm grateful for that. Anything that's historical on Pirates, I have a lot of fun with because it feels like it's a wasted portion of my C drive upstairs. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I use an inordinate amount of space on Pittsburgh's baseball history up there, and it feels like it goes to waste a lot. That's why more than anything, more than any dialogue that I that makes me just cringe, even more than uh, Hall of Fame stuff or steroids cheaters or anything, when it comes to baseball, is the idea that what those guys did, the great teams of the early 1900s, the great individual career, of Hannes Wagner, the greatest of all pirates to this day and probably forever should somehow get, you know, swept under the rug because, well, that was a long time ago and that games changed a lot. Uh, you know what? The games changed a lot just in the last 30, 40, 50 years. Watch highlights from games in the 1970s. They don't look anything like this. They really don't. 
Players are bigger and stronger because humans are bigger and stronger. The ball or the bat or the glove or the many, many other uh, physical components to baseball that don't involve the human body have changed. The manicuring of the grass has changed. So now your expectation in the field is going to be infinitely higher than it was even a half century ago. So, yeah, when I hear somebody say, um, you know, there's no way you can consider Wagner to be the best player because look at the way. Listen, the original Hall of Fame class in 1936, the inaugural class included your guy, Walter Big Train Johnson, as well as Hannes Wagner and Ty Cobb. Those two in particular were considered the premier players of their generation, the two coexisting co-stars. And when they came up with this class, and they came up with these five names, it wasn't just five names from, you know, who was really good in the previous five or ten years. It was the history of baseball to that point. Bearing in mind that the National League, for example was formed in 1887, that was a half century. And Wagner was a complete no-brainer selection. And I'm sorry, but with immense respect to Roberto Clemente and Willie Stargell, uh, individual standout like a Ralph Kiner, there's no one, no one, no one in Hannes's category here. And what I love to say to people who want to just Sweep that away as if it didn't happen. You know, ah, it was different. You know, you can't count that. Let's just say the modern version. No, no. Because you know what's going to happen? In another 50 years, 50 years from now, someone's going to say that about Clemente. And another mm, 40 or so years after that, they're going to say it about Mario Lemieux, the greatest athlete our city's ever had. And no. I'm not cool with that. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Pirates, but I really, really appreciate those of you who were sharp enough to notice that I never gave a record. I never gave a prediction. That's because I hate doing them, and I really, really hate doing them six weeks before the season starts. I'll do it the week of the opener in Cincinnati. I promise. Let's do this again tomorrow. I promise not to trick you tomorrow. (laughs) 